0: Welcome to Living Proof, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. We're glad you could join us today. The series Living Proof examines social work research and practice that makes a difference in people's lives. I'm your host, Adjua Robinson, and I'd like to take a moment to address you, our regular listeners, We know you have enjoyed the Living Proof podcast as evidenced by the more than 130,000 downloads to date. Thanks to all of you. We'd like to know what value you may have found in the podcast. We'd like to hear from all of you, practitioners, researchers, students, but especially our listeners who are social work educators. How are you using the podcast in your classrooms? Just go to our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu forward slash podcast and click on the Contact Us tab. Again, thanks for listening, and we look forward to hearing from you.
1: Happy spring from Buffalo, where our famous Broadway market is bustling with seasonal activity and downtown baseball has returned. I'm Peter Sabota. In this episode, we feature the work of our own Dr. David Patterson, faculty member here at the UB School of Social Work and director of the Native American Center for Wellness Research. Dr. Patterson describes the core ideas that inform the creation of the center and its evolution. He goes on to discuss how the center's work promotes the educational experiences of Native American students and how the research generated there informs the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual wellness of Native Americans. Dr. Patterson also talks about how the center's activities are building programs that assist students to promote peace and social justice in the community. Along the way, he touches on the impact of Indian boarding schools and challenges based on a host of historical trauma to Native American culture. Dr. Patterson concludes by discussing his own story and how his current work at the center reflects his debt to the support he has received. Dr. David Patterson is assistant professor at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work and director of the school's Native American Center for Wellness Research. He received his doctoral degree at the University of Louisville and in addition to Native Americans health and wellness, his research interests include alcohol, and other drug treatment retention efficacy for special populations and barriers to best practices adoption in community-based organizations. Dr. Patterson was interviewed by Dr. Adwoa Robinson, assistant professor at the UB School of Social Work, and the velvet-voiced co-host of this podcast series.
0: This is Adwoa Robinson, host of Living Proof podcast series, and my guest today is Dr. David Patterson, who is an assistant professor at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work and director of the Native American Center for Wellness Research. Thanks for joining us today, David. Hey,
2: thanks for having me. Okay.
0: So, tell our listeners about the center. I
2: came to Buffalo in 2006, so it took about a year. You know, I had to teach class and figure that whole stuff out, but I knew I wanted to. Do something around starting some type of native center. If it didn't have to be research, but it had to had to be something related to education, native education, and those sort of things. And and so about a year after I arrived in Buffalo, these events started happening. Things started coming together, and and it just started off with basically an interest in give, be given an office and putting a sign on the door that says, "Okay, here's you know the center," and basically just evolved out of just a desire to get something going. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I notice that your logo has three sisters on it that represent sort of the three focuses or foci of the center. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what the symbol means and what your three foci are? And so it's a
2: long teaching. I'll give sort of the brief topic on it. So it's basically the three sisters, uh, corn, beans, and squash. And the idea is that these three plants work together, is that they need one another to grow. And so what happens is that there's a mound that's built and that the corn is planted and it provides a stick for the beans. And so the beans have a vine and they grow up and they have uh, something to cling to. The squash Uh, they're more of a ground level plant and they have big leaves on them so what they do is they have some protection for the mound and uh, and they're kind of thorny so there's some uh, wards off some predators or whatever and all these things work together there's what happens is uh, nutritious values that go through it and then when all these things bear fruit and the season is over they go back into the ground and they nourish the ground so next year it can be planted so the idea is that you know with uh, Separately, they don't work very well. They work best when those things, when those three sisters work together, they rely upon one another. And so the idea came out of that, and, and, uh, and it's an old uh, teaching, and the idea is that whenever we talk about health and wellness and all these sort of things, you can't just separately talk about these independent issues without connecting everything. Native folks have an idea that everything is connected. And the idea of you, for instance, you talk about alcohol and drugs, you can't talk about that without really talking about the family and the, the history and all these other things that could be intertwined with that, that's, that's either helping it grow or helping it to not grow.
0: What are the three things that work together in your center?
2: After thinking about it and some work and talking to the council, uh, you know, the center has a board, and uh, we sort of came up with three things. One is... Basically, we titled them different things, and everything's on the web to look at. One is keeping the promise. You know, there's an idea of, is that uh, natives think about the next seven generations, Uh, is that any decisions made now should be done with the idea of seven generations ahead of time. The idea with this first sort of focus was keeping the promise, keeping the promise of those seven generations before us and after us. So, we thought about it, we're in an academic university and the first one is really focusing on student education and student involvement and native students, they have high dropout rates and so there's anywhere from, the data's all over the place, but anywhere from 50 to 75 percent of high school students don't make it uh, through high and, uh, school. And if they do make it through high school and they eventually go on to college, uh, they eventually, they're the first ones to really drop out of college. So there's this real need for retention. And it doesn't have to do anything about intelligence and all these other things, like they can't make it. It's all these structural, these system, systematic problems that create barriers for these uh, folks. And so the idea was, if they make it to UB, we need to sort of surround them and make sure that we, they stay here. It was a good sort of idea to come up with what are these support systems that exist at UB, and those things that don't exist, what can the center do to uh, enhance the retention of Native students?
0: So what are some of the things that you are doing?
2: Yeah, so one is we have a, a scholarship, so it's a Wolffire scholarship, and it took me about a year to get this going, you know, because you had to deal with policy of the university and, you know, all these sort of things. So this is really the first year that uh, awards will be presented, and so five students will be awarded some financial assistance. And so the WFAR scholarship, basically what it does, if you're working in Native communities, you don't have to be Native uh, to get the scholarship, but you do have to be connected in a Native community working on health and wellness or other issues, then you can qualify for up to $500 dollars. So if you're doing scholarly work and you have travel, or if you need to, you want to go to a conference and present something, or if you're working on a dissertation and you need some money to sort of, uh, and you're working in the native community and you need some help there, uh, the Wolf Fire Scholarship can help you. And so this year we have five students who are going to be awarded uh, $500 each for their work in native communities. And... Paying student loans myself, five hundred dollars doesn't seem a whole lot when you owe thousands of dollars. But any, but it's a nice start. It's able to help somewhat.
0: Just as you're talking about, I sort of see the connection with the working together kind of thing. So these are students who need assistance. That assistance. So you're keeping the promise to them in that way. But then they need to do something in return, the research, or working with Native communities. So there's another one of those plants in there. Yeah, that's a good point. So
2: Native students and Native folks in general, you know, they're sort of bred to give back to their community. And I think a lot of times is that some students are supported by their tribes. And so they are financially supported. So there's this, really this, sort of, I won't say this mandate, but internally, there's this really need to give back to their tribe, which really supported them through uh, their studies. And so I can understand that. And so hopefully we can keep that going and they can give back to their tribe. But I also want to point out another sort of aspect of keeping a promise is um, retention in college. And that there used to be this idea that If you were a struggling student in a university and they had study abroad programs where you could go for a semester or a few weeks and study uh, something internationally, that they would really discourage you from going. They would say, hey, it's really taking you off your focus. You really need to focus on you know, algebra right now. But there was a large study done recently that, that found out that a study abroad program is an intervention. Is that what happens when students studied internationally and experience that whole sort of cultural uh, mix, is that they came back a stronger student and they had greater completion rates. So my argument is, who needs this the most, or who you know, because native students have pretty poor retention rates, are these students, native students? So part of the scholarship will be to support that as well. So within a few months, I have applied for some some money. I'll be traveling to Ireland. And so Ireland, there's other places to go. I know native students like to go to Mexico and some other places that really uh, have some uh, those uh, interesting things. But you know Ireland, they they speak English. It's good. It's safe. It's easy to travel, and there's some similarities in culture. You know, so my cultural background uh, from Kentucky, my Cherokee women and men. I don't know if it was a law or what, but they married the Irish. And so, really? Yeah. So, you know, it's, you know, there's terms like Black Irish, uh, Dutch Irish, Irish or, is that during sort of my history is that the Irish folks were fleeing because of the famine and what was going on in Ireland. And the native folks were sort of fleeing these uh, marches, like the, you know everything, the Removal Act. And so it was nice they came together, you know, they sort of had this common history. Anyway, so there's a lot to learn over there. And so I'll go over there hopefully set up a, a program where to will be a month long, uh, six credit hours, mm-hmm. uh, and invite and recruit uh, Native students uh, at UB, and as well as SUNY. I would like to open it up uh, to SUNY-wide for, for students.
0: And is, are, is this for students at every level, like uh, undergrad and graduate? Absolutely.
2: It's for any student who's willing to go and who, willing to participate. And It's a credit course. One of the barriers is uh, money. So, hopefully, I can raise some money to support those sort of things as well.
0: Well, you know, know what you're saying about that study, it really makes sense. You get out of this same environment and go somewhere else, you might get the motivation to say, get ideas, new ideas, and the motivation, hey, I really want to finish this so I can do that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, and, you know, so there's other studies that say the Native folks really have a hard time fitting into the typical academic regime of this, you know, uh, you sit forward in a classroom, you really, you learn a certain way. For me, I can just speak for myself, I, I like to be able to do things hands-on or to watch things. So to, to study abroad and actually stand in a place where all this history was, and to be able to see it and, you know, to be out in it is a different style of learning. I think that, for me, it's more exciting and more relevant. It sort of allows me to withstand some of the the, um, not so exciting parts of getting a degree in a higher education (laughs) institution.
0: Yeah. So, keeping the promise is one.
2: Yes. The other one is uh, research. And so, uh, you know, evaluation and research and And so the Native Center falls under the uh, Buffalo Center for Social Research. And there's huge support there. There's a statistician there. There's a grant writing assistant there. They do great work. Uh, They're just a great resource for anybody or any program that really wants to evaluate their program or really set up these research protocols uh, to, to evaluate what's going on. And so some of the exciting things going on in there is, you know, there's been some past research done, but one thing that I'm really excited about is uh, working with uh, Knox, Native American Community Services. We sort of both together were awarded this fellowship with the uh, University of Washington and that... They have this great grant that's basically is going to shepherd us through for two years. And at the end of that, we'll come out with this research study grant that is ready to propose to NIH to do a uh, study. And so working with NACS, they're sort of the same opinion and everything is connected. So that the fellowship is connected to HIV prevention. And it has to be connected to some type of mental health. So we're sort of looking at sort of historical traumas related to overall health. And so hopefully within the next two years, Nax and I will have this nice grant package to be able to put forward to NIH and do some um, research within the community here.
0: That's terrific. So is the focus of this grant to get researchers and communities to work together on projects?
2: I think so, and it's also sort of a opportunity for underrepresented faculty and researchers uh, to be able to meet with mentors and, and those folks who have really been successful in doing research so part of the two years will be working with some uh, researchers around the country that Wa- the University of Washington is putting us together sort of shepherding us through and it's a great opportunity to learn from some of the you know these seasoned researchers out in the out in the world
0: So we have the promise, we have research, and what's the third? The
2: final one is promoting peace and social justice. So really what's going on in our community. So this is, but this is really an opportunity to work in the community to make a sort of a difference. You know, there's one thing to be in academics and try to help uh, the academic folks and to do research and all this sort of stuff. But if Really, if you're not working in a community and those sort of things, what I would call really volunteer time, to me, I would really miss out on, on a lot. So part of this is trying to do things on campus to, to really support students. You know, we plan to uh, have some type of uh, peace drumming to bring a drum on campus and do uh, do some of that. Uh, it's our also our hope that when the new president comes to UB, that we do a gathering or something, to welcome into this territory, And there's even been talk to uh, talk about uh, giving him a name, you know, uh, doing something like, like that just to honor him in and welcome him in and let him know that he's coming to the land of the Haudenosaunee. You know, the Six Nation. and then other things like, uh, you know, we do some drumming. There's, I sit with a drum group and uh, we do some drumming every Wednesday at NACS. And then it's really just to folks to experience some culture. To really, you know, but we, we had been practicing at each other's house. And it's really just an opportunity to drum and sing and eat real bad food. But now we have a place, Native American Community Services, uh, you know, allowed us to be there every week. Yeah. So it's, it's a great opportunity to yeah. sort of hit the community.
0: Yeah, I remember, I don't know, it was some kind of meeting and you were called away to go sing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how many Native American students are there at UB? Yeah, so that's a good question. So as you know,
2: universities, it's self-reporting. So, you know, they look at those numbers. So I was trying to look at it to earlier this week. There's 50 who self-report being Native American. Now, that's both undergraduate and graduate level. SUNY-wide, I think there's over a 1,000. Those are self-reported, so who knows... How many in actuality. Yeah, Thanks. Yeah, exactly.
0: So what are some of the things you're doing to outreach to at least the Native students on campus?
2: Yeah, so there's a student organization for Native American students, and they... Do things like fundraising, and they do some also some cultural things. But uh, also once a year, uh, UB sort of organizes a uh, a Native Bazaar, uh, where high school students come in from Native communities, and they get to uh, talk to staff and faculty, and they get to hear from other Native students how it is at UB, and it's basically a recruitment. And then after that, there's a sort of a social where there's some dancing and singing and there's some food available. So it just sort of this uh, putting on a show, hopefully entice some high school students to come to UB. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you have some natural pathways in, yeah. to connect with Native students. Okay, so I am going to read you a quote and then I'm going to ask you to respond to it. Oh, boy. Okay. So the quote, begin quote, let all that is... Indian within you die, end quote. And I got that quote from your blog. Yes. So this came from
2: recently, well, I've been studying up on boarding school because of this grant with with NACS. I'm reading some stuff, and there was a a book that, uh, about the same time that the U.S. was developing policy for Native uh, folks for setting up boarding schools, Ireland was or the British was setting up the same policies for the Irish folks, you know, and so they were figuring out how are we going to educate these, quote, savages, you know what I mean? You have to sort of get them up to the American or the British sort of standard. And So that quote came, comes out of a commencement speech that was uh, given at Carlisle Indian School that basically, and there's other, there's been other ways to say it, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, kill the Indian, save the man sort of deal. So the idea was is to sort of kill the Indian within the Indian. Uh, And so the American could expose itself, you know. So the idea of the boarding school was to is to remove that part of you so you could develop into this civilized, intelligent American and so that was sort of the policy of the boarding school, and that's where that comes from. And so, you know, you develop a blog, what you have to do is get a a nice title, hopefully to get folks to read it. And so I just used that. But it also came out of, uh, and what why it hit me, because I've heard those quotes before, is that, uh, you know, what just happened in uh, Tucson with the uh, some folks getting killed there. And, uh, and so it's the Congress lady who survived a shot in the head, and so... Everybody's waiting around to see if she sort of recovers and she's the same person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is that now that her brain has been altered or damaged, will she be that same person or will she be something different? And that was, I guess, the it sort of hit me is the idea is that uh, back this policy had to be, we had to change, basically change what Indians were. We had to not so much damage the brain, but they had to sort of alter this uh, idea so they wouldn't be Indian anymore. You know, they realized that you could kill an Indian or a Native American and it doesn't do anything to their Indianness. Yeah. is that they really had to manipulate the living. And that's sort of the policy that uh, the U.S. government was sort of trying to figure out how to do that. They thought the best route was instead of sending out soldiers, they would send out teachers.
0: Just hearing you say that, it just sounds like this... Uh, yeah. This evil program, a we have a secret trap that we will um, spring on these people, yeah. you know, and those efforts, that policy and the implementation of that policy to try to get the Indian out of the Indian resulted in some pretty deleterious outcomes yeah. for native peoples yeah. I think
2: this is a good time. I should have said it earlier that i'm no expert in all of this okay i'm you know so i'm learning as I go. So and there's great people around who's done a whole lot more work in this. There's some folks in University of Washington has done it. Uh, Maria Braveheart has, you know, looked into all this historical trauma deal. But there, you know, there's all kinds of things that happened in those schools. But, you know, sort of the reading this book about comparing the Irish is that uh, what happened with the Irish with this guy who wrote this book basically said it allowed the Irish folks to come together and stand strong against the British, right? And um, uh, so that was his argument of, you know, sort of that's how they survived. The thing about the Native American boarding schools is that I've heard that folks say that, you know, in some sense it saved their life, you know. So you have these, uh, some Native folks who coming out of boarding schools, it changed their life in a positive way, where others, you know, just terrible things went on in those schools mm-hmm. and uh, so it's you know you, you have to not say that every boarding school was right, was right. just terrible and mm-hmm. you can't say that every boarding school is great right. you know it's, there's just too many of these stories of both of those sides to be able to figure out what was going on and so for me I'm trying to figure out historical trauma and all these things that lead to poor health and how many generations are there going to be where you know does that trauma ever stop you know, the argument here is, and Knox did a good documentary uh, on this, is that they interviewed folks in this territory about their boarding school experiences. And it just then they talked to the, the kids, and it said, you know, my mom or my dad really didn't know how to parent because they were sort of manipulated in school. How many more generations is that going to last, sort of the effects of that boarding school but can you really say that it's the boarding school at all? Because there's so many other things, you know, there's, you know, you think about that one policy, but to think about just interrupting their whole culture and their whole way of being, you know, it's, it's relocating all of those things. It's just, you know, it's like uh, trying to take uh, the eggs out of a baked cake. You know what I mean? What is it? You know, so. It's hard just to pinpoint one thing that really said, oh, if we could really heal from that trauma, you know, our the natives' lives would be much better in the future. It's hard to do.
0: And I guess it's a good time to ask you this question since you've been using the term a lot. What exactly is historical trauma?
2: Again, there's a lot of folks who have used this uh, sort of theory. And I know the university, especially in the School of Social Work, is, you know, into trauma and, you know, past trauma and, So I can say sort of my history has, you know, I don't want to say that I experienced anything related to any, you know, um, thing, but, you know, I could say that I, sort of my history and growing up, I was raised in a, you know, a traumatic household. You know, my mom, who's Cherokee, married an Irish person, because I think it's a law in Kentucky, uh, and that, you know, there were uh, episodes in the house where there was violence and it could... uh, be very violent on the kids and, you know, the uh, mom, mom. And so, you know, I don't know how you ever sort of adjust the dowel or change that or have a kid come out of something like that. Not, I don't want to say damaged, but not with baggage, I guess. You know, that's a nice term. So it's hard to say that resulted in this, but... You know, I sort of went the route of what the statistics say, is that I dropped out of high school, uh, developed an alcohol and drug problem. I was in a homeless shelter for two and a half years. And I finally, after I decided to, to go to college or somebody was trying to entice me to go to college, you know, they've done these tests and they said, well, you're not college material, you know. And so... Yes,
0: Dr. Patterson.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, but I think that's the message, you mm-hmm. know, that, uh, that you know, the standardized test and all this. Uh, and so it upset me so much that I was bound and determined to succeed in college. And so I was angry uh, up until a master degree, you know, and then I thought, well, what the heck, you know, that was, uh, that was over. And uh So in some sense, you know, you know, I heard a guy say one time when you find your purpose in life, it gives all other things purpose, Uh, which means that I feel like I have found my purpose. And for me to look back and say, oh, my gosh, if I would have changed this or this or this, I might not have been here. You know, so in in looking back, I look back in gratitude, you know, in some sense, although there's these terrible things that might have happened, you know, along the way. Uh, so I don't know if there's healing uh, sort of in finding your purpose, but, but there has to be some level of healing uh, that, that happens.
0: We get beyond the effects of whatever trauma a person experienced.
2: So in some sense, some of that can make you a stronger person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it always comes back to haunt you at some mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. You know. And so uh, I think what I would define hisco- historical trauma is those events – that sort of creep back up on you, that cause you harm in the present, that really, although you're, you have enough intelligence and all these sort of strategies to heal from it, is that no matter how much you work on that, those things can still be exposed. Like when I hear of a story or an injustice or something, it changes me to where I can be back when certain things were happening to me, the anger and rage and, you know, so... It's like being able to uh, relive that, and I think that's sort of the uh, my layman's term of what I would consider historical trauma. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so, as you t- told your own story, I could see again the circle. Mm-hmm. I could see how everything's connected. Your experience uh, led you to help make others' experiences better, going through getting through school. Um, uh, being productive in the community because of how it changed your life?
2: Yeah, so I went on a study abroad program. You know, I had never been out of my little community uh, up until that point. And I was going to college. You know, I went to a community college and then went and got a BSW. And during that community college, I was living in a homeless shelter. So, you know, I was on campus trying to be a student, worried about, oh my gosh, I'm going to be found out. Somebody's going to follow me back to the homeless shelter. But then I would go back to the homeless shelter and these men there would tutor me. There was a guy in the homeless shelter who had two master degrees uh, in chemistry. But his only issue was as soon as he'd get a job in chemistry, he'd make alcohol and drugs in there. And (laughs) and so he he couldn't hang on a job. But he was a great guy and he helped me through algebra. You know what I mean? And there was just all of that, sort of assistance there, you know. And I tell folks all the time is that you don't have to be smart to, to be successful in college. All it takes is support and motivation, mm-hmm. really. And so basically when I was sort of, I, I had a guy who fed me uh, lunch and dinner every day for almost a year and a half. Wow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's those type of stories that I would say, I don't know how I would ever repay you, you know. And so their idea was, There'll come a time when it, you're, it's your turn, mm. you know, and so th- it's my turn.
1: You've been listening to Dr. David Patterson discuss the UB School of Social Work's Native American Center for Wellness Research on Living Proof.
0: Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, professor and dean at the University of Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about who we are, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu.
1: At UB, we are living proof that social work makes a difference in people's lives.